we're slow dancing in a burning room as we're recording this brand new episode of Turntables and Tea. I'm Charlie. And I'm Corey. And this week we will be discussing John Mayer's Continuum. Um, not There's not a second um after Continuum, to be clear. It's just the one word. I'm just how I talk sometimes. <laughs> but this is his third studio. It's our second Ocean's Calling album. We're doing a... um artists each day basically um for each day of the festival three-day festival and uh we already did for the first day we did Alanis Morissette's Jagged Little Pill and for the second day the headliner's John Mayer so we're doing a continuum which seems like is what a lot of people would consider to be his best album and uh it's our second foray into John Mayer we previously did the experimental John Mayer trio live album Tribe which came out a year before this, but um, the same players from that album were involved in the making of this one. He was recording Continuum while when Try was released. And as a result, a couple of those songs are on here in finalized studio form. In addition to just everything else he was writing, and the big change again here is, and as we discussed in the Try episode, if you haven't listened to that, please do it. <laughs> Just he was moving on from that pop rock sound of the early stuff. We're moving on from Your Body is a Wonderland and Daughters to this more blues, soul-influenced sound, very guitar-heavy. He wants to be like this Clapton Hendrix kind of guitar player, and that's really what the whole attitude of this album is, is just this is a new John Mayer. We've gotten a preview of it, but... And maybe a bit unexpected for some fans, but also with the potential to get a lot of new fans. Yeah, this definitely crossed over. Even before it came out, it was heralded as this crossover. It was something that people were going to be able to listen to on all sides. And it ended up doing that. You know, we we got to see this evolution of Mayor. At, at this point, he was, you know, he was playing with Clapton at Crossroads. He was... He was playing out there with cats and we talked about the trio players being here, but to have Steve Jordan producing this album is just a godsend. And also they know each other so well at this point from being bandmates. It's the cherry on top. There's, there's a lot of names throughout this album that are hidden in there. Some that I learned on this run through for me, I really think it showed his acceptance into the non-pop mainstream you know it, like you can see there's all types of artists working on this album and he was out there doing live with the with the trio and he really for me was finding himself in this era of of john mayer i mean he was just almost 30 at this point yeah i think he was like 28 29 when this came out um so he's really He's hitting hit the stride. He's hitting his stride. And, and it's it was really cool to see when it happened. And it's super cool to look back and turn a critical ear to it. It's a, it's a neat one. Yeah, it was a crossover. And that was reflected in its performance. So it was released in September of 2006. And um, it uh, debuted and peaked at number two on the Billboard 200 with over 300,000 copies sold first week. And would have been number one, except for the fact that at the same time, Justin Timberlake's Future Sex Love Sounds was released. And so that did block it from the top spot. And, well, 
Yeah, I mean that was its future sex love sounds. I mean, yeah, he was he Justin Timberlake was also coming in hot then. So yeah, J Mayor knew that. Mayor, Mayor, yeah. they knew what was going down. That's a heck of a time to release an album, but I mean that's two of your top faces that have made it yeah. out of that era. You know, a great yeah. year for music. <laughs> yeah, and there's some true classic albums that year. And uh, yeah, this one, the critical reception was overall pretty positive, too. And it's um, continued to be. It was included on the most recent Rolling Stone list of the 500 greatest albums. It made it number 486. So it got go. in there. <laughs> so, and it was his only inclusion on there, on the list. But he got in there. That's what mattered. Yeah, this album was also got three Grammy nominations that year. And it won two of them, including... Best pop vocal album. It did win that over future sex love sounds. But yeah, he was really doing well at this point and making a new name for himself. But also, I think mostly successfully holding on to the fan base he already had, I think, because we'll see when we discuss the songs, because I think he wanted to do a bit of everything. I think he wanted to appease his existing fans while doing something new, but also reach a new listener base. Yeah. Well, with that being said, I guess we should get into this uh, continuum of an album. We've got 12 songs to go through. <laughs> Here we go. Yeah. Oh, boy. We, we took a week off and we're getting back into the groove of it. <laughs> so bear with us. Sorry, but bear with us. But we know we love you for tuning in anyway. But uh, so the album begins with uh, Waiting on the World to Change, which is um kind of a protest anti-war song, but also kind of not because the folks are waiting on the world to change, but they're not going to take action. But that's because, well, they haven't seen anybody else take action. It takes that attitude of, well, what's it going to do, which is a. Uh, very relatable. I think it continues to be relatable. I think it was relatable in 2006, and it is now. And, um, yeah, one of, I'm not too familiar, but I'm thinking this is one of his first real somewhat political songs. It was his first, actually. Yeah, <laughs> okay. That's what I, that's what I was thinking. So, but despite that, this one, um, it's not that Maybe the subject matter is musically, it's really, I don't think, too far removed from what was expected of John Mayer at this point in time. Because um, this was the first single. It's one you pr probably do know. It was a big hit. It made it to 14 on the Hot 100 and stayed on the charts for 41 weeks. And yep, sounds about right. It was one of those songs that you heard a lot. <laughs> Yeah, I think this song is a great single. I think it eases us into the new sound. Do I think it's the best here? Not even close. But I think that as a single, it's a really solid, smart choice for that. And on that level, I really respect the song. Yeah, it is a very soft landing point for us uh, as listeners coming in. I think if it was a conscious decision by John or the label or both, it was well done because of it. This song is really is a neat little transition from old mayor to new mayor. 
even if new mayor or this new sound that he has going on is just really sprinkled in here, it's here. Uh, whether it be the just his his new level of soloing or just that blues mentality hidden behind, um, it's here. You still get the very pop sounds of his early stuff, especially with those hard accented piano backgrounds, the the key backgrounds, that real almost xylophone sounding uh, accompaniment. It is a good song. You're too. I'm totally with you on the fact that is it the best song here? Not by a mile. Uh, in fact, back then it was cool, but looking back at it with a critical ear or hot tea take, uh, this is the most rudimentary piece on the album. It's very, very easy on the ears and very, very easy on the composition. Uh, but but still a neat way to start this album. And in an album whole, uh, a really perfect way to start this album, this mature or this evolving into maturity album. Yeah, and even though it was such a big hit at the time, I don't think it's the song that's now the currently 2023 the most beloved here. And uh, interestingly, I did read this because thinking about because I'll be seeing him pretty soon. Um, he actually said this song's really hard for him to sing now because his voice has changed over the years, and I doesn't look like he plays it regularly anymore. I can see both of those. I can see it sort of falling flat inside of a set, especially with, I mean, the way I've seen him, the the amount of energy that he has in his set, this would probably be, probably in my opinion, fall flat. Yeah, I was looking at some of his set lists because I don't, I'm not getting a full show at the festival, I don't think, but... I wanted to get an idea of it, and I'm not betting on hearing this one. Uh, I don't know how I feel about it. I wouldn't mind. I mean, would I rather hear this than songs I don't know? Yes, but will I be, how upset will I be? I'm not, I'm not expecting it, so I'm not going to cry about it. <laughs> um, <laughs> but a fun award fact. Now, this did win a Grammy for Best Male Pop Vocal Performance, and actually... John Mayer won that award four times out of the five times he was nominated and before that award was discontinued in 2011 and he is tied for the most wins of that award along with Sting and Stevie Wonder. Wow. So <laughs> great company to be in right there. Heck yeah. Even though we all know Sting was much better with the police than Solo. That's not a hot tea take. I think we all can. Did Sting win all those with the police, do you know? No, it, Solo, not police songs. Oh, wow. That was all him by himself. Okay. Yeah. Grammy <laughs> Grammy darling, I guess, Sting was for a while. But uh, we we all know what his best songs are. And it's not the Solo songs. Heard that in mm. the Sting world? Come on, there's he he did every breath you takes a place song. Roxanne's a place song, but we're not here to talk about the police. We're here to talk about John Mayer. So now, um, we're going to continue with the album. Sorry for the tangent with our second track, which is "I Don't Trust Myself with Loving You." The um second bar of that is in parentheses. Um, 
this is a more personal and self-deprecating song following the more political waiting on the world to change uh oh boy this is this song's kind of dangerous i think because um it shows how deep and thoughtful mayor is when it comes to thinking about his relationships and he doesn't trust himself but that's uh the, the problem is that's what attracts the ladies. It's like, oh, he's so thoughtful, even though he's saying he's, like, not good. That's how you attract them, I think, when you when you say that. <laughs> the tortured soul. The tortured him, soul. It makes him more endearing. That's the problem. So, like, it's like, yes, he's basically warning anybody who will date him that he's not a great partner, and most of his Exes would say he's not a great partner. Um, and uh, he hasn't been nice to them. Let's be realistic. But this is how this this is the deception here, I feel like, is a song like this. Because we see just how darn thoughtful he is. And um, poetic. Uh, as for music, I think it has this has some of that soul to it, which I think is good. He um he has a decent voice for it. I'm not gonna say he's like the great soul singer like a Stevie Wonder, but he does have a good tone for that kind of music, and you can hear him singing from his soul, which is what you need for that. So um yeah, I enjoy this one. I think it's a good second track, and again, does um the easing us into this new sound. Yeah, perfect way to say it. easing us into this new sound. If we were on a fader, and the left side of the fader at zero was old John Mayer, and the ten was new John Mayer, we are at about a four here. This definitely has some blues and R and B sensibilities, especially after the first solo is realized. And that's a new sound for the majority of listeners. If you if if people are coming into this and they haven't heard Trio, and the last thing they heard was Daughters, um, they're saying, okay, this is this is totally new. But this this has a little bit of that older mare still in it. I, I think the horns in this composition are a great addition. They start to give that live sound that he had found in the years or the year and a half before this album and really gives a, a wholesome sound, uh, a whole band feeling on this one. But this still, going back to the old mayor, this still sits in this very, not so much syncopated, but very on point rhythm of the vocals, the track. It, it's nothing that's going to make your ears perk up. Um, with originality uh as far as the composition goes and for that he's he hasn't even hit the five marker yet but i really do i enjoy this song um it has a really catchy backbone to it that just keeps you going no matter what and i i, I enjoy that because of that uh this is a good number two yes i i completely agree with that but uh, we are going to go make more of a pivot into this new heavier sound with our next song, which is Belief. This one also takes on some war elements in its lyrics, but I think they're really beautiful lyrics. I mean, Belief is beautiful armor, but makes for the heaviest sword. Wow. um, Great writing right there. Uh, Yeah, I just think this is a really real song, and he's really 
knowing how to relate to the listener on that intimate level. Like you feel like it's just him singing to you, even if this is a somewhat heavy rock song. But the lyrics, um, timely for 2006, certainly with the Iraq war raging on, but also timeless because war is a fact of life, whether we like it or not. There have been wars, there were wars before then, there have been wars since then. Um, and, uh, yeah, the musician here, this one does feature Ben Harper on the guitar. And, uh, funnily enough, guess who's going to be playing at Ocean's Calling the same day? Ben Harper. And, uh, thought so, about that. Hmm. It's going to happen. curious <laughs> to see if, uh, Mr. Harper will be making an appearance during Mr. Mayor's set. <laughs> Very curious I to hope. see that. I think it would be a missed uh, opportunity to not do that, but yeah, that's one of those concert ones that you're like, fingers crossed, the yeah. stars are aligned. Let's see if it happens. <laughs> yeah, I'm, and I hope they do it too because it's a cool song. It's another winner in my opinion here. Uh, and uh, again, I'm liking how we're getting into this new heavier sound, and this is a great example of it. Yeah, it really is. This I'm even going to go past five. This is at like a six here, maybe even yeah. a seven uh, as far as this new sound. This I love this riff. The riff of the, the the backbone riff of this composition, this piece is so, so beautiful. And here's where we get this. I'm going to say this is the first time he really blossoms into this new sound hardcore with the way that the rhythm of his vocals here uh, aren't sitting directly on top of the track. He really has some powerful, powerful stuff to say inside of this hot tea take. This is more of a protest song than waiting on the world to change for me. He really says a lot of good stuff here. The line you pulled with the, or pulled out with the uh, belief being this armor, but the sword, uh, right after that, he says, belief is like punching through wood or you're never going to hit what you want. He says some really cool stuff here that basically boils down to if you're fighting on belief, you're never going to win the war. You have to figure out what you're fighting about. And if it's belief, it's never going to be a favorable outcome for anyone. I really enjoy this one. Ben Harper on it makes it even sicker. Uh, this That one I did know back in the day. This is uh, This is my first real memory of this album uh this is the first song that i was like oh there you go there you go and at the number three it really made me happy going back and listening to it just because it was there early on in this album really good track yeah most definitely and um i mentioned that grammy award that he won four times this is the he was nominated for this song this is the one time he lost it actually oh. But he, admittedly, he did lose to Justin Timberlake's What Goes Around Comes Around. And okay, that that's a tough vote right there. That's the, that's the problem with that one. That's one I can't even get mad at. I mean, it's like, yes, yeah, so on one hand, Mayor and Harper on another, Justin and Timberland. <laughs> yeah. It's apples and oranges. That's the problem. I heard that. But yeah, I probably would have voted for Justin and Timbaland myself. Hard would have been a hard decision though, because this is a really strong track. 
But uh, speaking of strong tracks, we've got another one coming up. It's one we already discussed before, Gravity. This was on the Try album. And it's not too different here, but that's a good thing. It didn't need to be changed so much because the song really, he had it down. And um, when he played it in that live setting, it sounded like a song he'd been doing forever already, even though it was a brand new song. So why make too many changes? Um, but this version, I do have to give a couple more points because none other than Alicia Keys is on backing vocals. So I do have to give it more credit for that because what a beautiful voice to put on a, a song, any song. So yes, this is the definitive version of it. And um, yeah, it was a single and it only reached 71 on the Hot 100, but that's not really a reflection of its stature. It's a really beloved song. This is one I feel like now this is a more beloved song than Waiting on the World to Change, I think, in at the, in this era. Not most back definitely. Then. Yeah. No, mo it only made it to 78? 71. Is that what you said? Jeez, a whiz. 71. <laughs> that's that's surprising. For, for as powerful uh, of a song, and we said it on the last time we went through when we did Trio, it, it's a timeless piece, man. It's one of those ones that it, it's a hit. It's a it's a it's a almost perfect song. Alicia Keys. I never knew that part about it. <laughs> I never knew but that back in the you, day. Once you read it and then you hear it, you're like, oh, there's no mistaking who that is. That I, I know. And, and you know me. I love me some Alicia Keys yes, and John did. Mayer. So it was so crazy. I found that on the wiki and I was like, that's not right. Somebody needs to delete that. Like, where's the source? She's not even in the rest of the uh, anything I could find for the artists uh, as far as on the album. So I still was like, nah, this is some wiki stuff here. But uh, it's so cool. You cannot mistake that it's her once you read it. A, a very, very welcome addition. <laughs> um to gravity period but it's such a it's, a it's almost a perfect song i don't i don't know what other to say he he really he hits it out of the park here uh yeah. it is it and this is i'll say an eight or a nine on that new mayor because we heard it you know back on trio but or a try but uh it's it's such a beautiful piece yeah and it i'm is smiling thinking about it you know <laughs> And it's definitely a guitar song, too. I think that's what really pushes it into that new mayor category. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, a, a truly sublime song. Um, and uh, something a bit more optimistic. And uh, we're going to kind of keep that going with track number five, which is The Heart of Life. Um, it's basically saying the heart of life is good, even if it's difficult life being that but of course pain and love are the things that change everything um this is one of the shortest songs here it's only three minutes and 19 seconds uh i'm glad this is not an easy this is definitely my least favorite song on the album i mean we're hearing this um these previous songs i just felt like had much more thoughtful lyrics to them and we're really moving into new um compositional territory for the artists here and um it was just so exciting and i just think this song it's kind of 
cheesy and I just don't think it really fits the tone of everything else here. To me, this is like one of those movie montage songs, like for the emotional montage of the film. Yeah. This song would play. And it's perfect for that. I think that's where it should have been used. Smack dab in the middle of this album almost. No, I think it just sounds like an outtake from an earlier era. I mean, I'm not an expert, but this is a lot closer to Daughters than it is to Gravity. Yeah, it almost it almost seems like half of a thought, even though it has, a, you know, it has a full thought inside of it. But it, compared to what we've heard so far, it almost, for me, with its shortness, feels like a, not a completely fleshed out composition here. Um, I forgot this was on this album. In fact, when like I was going down, it's like, oh wait a minute, what? Oh, okay, yeah, that's right, I remember this. Um, it's a cool statement in there. It's a positive statement. Um, I'll use the shortness of of this or the review of this track to open up and say this is a cool look at what he was struggling with or working with inside of himself. He had said that he wanted to name this album Continuum way before he started going at it. And he had found himself, and I won't get too far ahead of myself, but he had found himself in that part of life where he was fascinated with where he fit into this, this fleeting time, uh, this continuum. So the message in Heart of Life is, is a neat one, and I'll give it that only on a silver lining playbook style here of that's where he was um at, at anything this is like maybe he needed a breath on the album or something like that but it doesn't add really much uh and it sort of gets forgotten uh for lack of better words in this number five spot i think it could have been removed it just doesn't fit in most definitely that's that's the main issue but uh and it especially sounds weird coming before the next song, which is <laughs> Vultures, the other song that was included on the John Mayer Trio album. This is one of only two songs here with co-writers. Um, Steve Jordan and Pino Palladino are credited as co-writers on this song. And uh, yeah, it's a song about dealing with the haters. And um, hey, we all need a song like that. Uh, on... The Try album, I think this song was a clear highlight out of the new original songs. Um, like, I can see why that was one of the ones they decided, no, this needs to be properly recorded in a studio and put on an album, not just on this live album. Um, that was totally a smart thing to do, not faulting it. The problem here is... This song gets demolished by most of the songs that follow it. Is like it's not a bad song, but in comparison to even some of the ones that I heard before, I don't think it stacks up. And especially not after, it just I mean, here it's a bit of a filler, I hate to say it on whereas on try it was a highlight. Yeah, it's even a little bit slower. Um, I do like the addition of the keys here on it, just for more of a rounded out sound. But I'll go back to when this album was released. I used to tell people, like, you want to hear that song? Go listen to it on on try. Because when this song is unbridled, it is a powerhouse. But I feel like being confined inside of this 
this recording session state, it loses a little bit of itself. It definitely is. A, this is another silver lining playbook, you know, benefit of the doubt. It is a slow breather before this album really opens up, um, in my opinion. And it does its job there. But as far as it being the best version of Vultures, it definitely isn't. I can understand that you want to get this song to the masses. But unfortunately, I always told people to go check it out on Drive because it just shines there. Uh, it's a great song. It's a great song. Don't get me wrong. But it, it shines more when it's allowed to, uh, when this Vulture is allowed to fly, so to speak. Yeah. Um, yeah (laughs) that's that's pretty much it for me on that one it's it's go check it out on try if you have never heard it other than this album yeah because and also you're not kidding we are opening up into some new emotionally damaged territory um really starting with track number seven which is stop this train which a song john mayer said was written in solitary refinement were his words i like that um at the time (laughs) he was at the time he was actually living in a hotel because he was in between homes um when he wrote this song and he was also um bowled over in pain with double kidney stones (laughs) so Um, I, I, I have to give him credit. I've never had kidney stones, but they don't sound fun. Um, I imagine I'd yell like Kramer did when he got them. (laughs) Where, (laughs) where all of Madison Square Garden heard him scream. That would have been me. I definitely wouldn't have written a song, but, uh, John Mayer wrote a song because that's what you do when you're in pain. I guess you write songs if you're an artist and good for him because, um, yeah, just the reality of where he was in this place really comes through in the song. He just, he's really reflecting about, like, just slowing down and stopping the train. And, um, I mean, it's a beautiful song. I think this is pure soul John Mayer in his singing of it. He sings it with pure soul, and he means every word, and I love it. And um, is it the biggest, most popular song here now? But I really, really, really want to hear this live at Ocean's Calling. Um, I think this is a beautiful song. It is a beautiful song. It. This is one that unfortunately everybody doesn't know. And this is one I used to scream at people like, listen, stop and listen to this song. I wasn't at that age yet, and it hadn't really hadn't really started to seep in like it is for John Mayer here. But this is a 28, 29 year old man looking and for the first time feeling this milestone of 30 years coming and inside of the homesickness for his own home, living in the hotel and and to be at home with his folks, uh, the mortality of his parents are setting in and it's really daunting to him. And he's laying it out on the line for us here. Um, This is up there for me with like father and son or like cats in the cradle. I mean, this is a real look at some father and son uh, 
milestone heaviness, man. I, I, I love that at 255, we get a candid talk with his father. And his father says, you know, I, I'm paraphrasing, but like, don't do this. Don't stop the train. Like, I've tried my hand. And, you know, this is this is what happens. It's going to be OK. And it's such a powerful, powerful piece. Um, I implore anyone, if you're listening to this and you haven't listened to the album yet, do not pass this one over. It's such a beautiful song. But this, for me, is very close to the height of John Mayer as a singer songwriter and really letting us in. Um, and, and again, we talked about this album opening up for me this cathartic release just blossoms into the next handful of songs as we go through. He he really is letting us in um, clear all the way through the, the entirety or the, the rest of this album, in my opinion. And this is such a beautiful way to start that. Yeah, most definitely. But even outside of the album, it's a beautiful song on its own, too. It's Most that time. powerful. So, um, but you're not kidding about we're opening up where we're going even further, folks. Um, and now it's a time for our eighth song, which is Slow Dancing in a Burning Room. Not a single, but one of John Mayer's most beloved and most streamed songs. So, um, and uh, yeah, this is blues John Mayer. It's pure blues guitar that you're hearing here. That it's pure Clapton, and um, but it fits perfectly with what he's singing. He's singing the blues of this disintegrating relationship where he knows it's ending, but they're just keeping up appearances. Hence the title, they're slow dancing in a burning room. It's like, we're, we're putting on a show, but look around us. It's really falling apart. And um, what a beautiful metaphor to use for that. I think that's so great um it yeah it's not a, a lot of times i've seen this called his very best song I, I it's not even my favorite on the album but i can see why it's a really beloved song um and uh really i'm i'm sure i'm going to hear this one at the festival because actually it looks like on this solo tour he's been doing this is the song he's been opening his shows with which I think, um, I just can't imagine this opening a concert, but I mean. Uh, I'll tell you, when I seen him on Heartbreak Warfare and I was like, I swear to God, if he opens this concert with, it's going to be the worst concert we've ever gone to. And sure shit, he did. And it was not even, <laughs> it was a great concert. So he can if anyone can do it, he can do it. I can I I can't see this as an opener, but Johnny yeah. can do that. <laughs> no, it it's still a great song. Um, I'll be happy to hear it. I'm just very curious to see how it'll go over as an opening track for a set. But uh, yeah, still still a great song, still beloved, a bit overrated possibly, but you know it, it's hard to um. Yeah, I don't know. it's just it's hard to completely follow the hype for me with everything, but I can definitely see why the song is so beloved, and I enjoy it too. For me, a little bit of that overhype comes from really how relatable this song is. You know, it, 
hopefully no you know no one ever has to be inside of a relationship where you can see it going south and you're both trying to keep appearances but i feel like a lot of people have been there and it's super relatable um here we go open up john mayer again in a beautiful song he's giving it to us all here uh it wasn't my thought back then but now i always think of the meme of the dog sitting in the room that's on fire with a coffee cup and just says everything's fine it's the, it's the same play here and he does it in this beautiful way um and and caps it off saying we're slow dancing in a burning room this is a good one this is up there for me as far as mayor goes but i'm i'm with you actually this is not definitely not my favorite on the album but this is not his top song for me uh it is a good one though and this yes. you said this wasn't a single no it wasn't which is really it, shocking I, I feel like yeah i feel like it was everywhere back then um but people maybe just loved that it just was that song people really gravitated to even though it wasn't a single which it's weird that that would happen in this that this era of the mid-2000s yeah i mean it was either youtube was this year or the next year like we were still starting to really get into that sharing streaming mentality so you're right yeah it's that's why i said wait a minute it wasn't a single because it definitely got its fair share of radio play yeah it's just in that in-between era of streaming and um album-oriented rock we're yeah. we're in between that, so but that makes it all the more impressive that this got on through and broke through. But uh, speaking of album oriented or classic rock, if you will, uh, we're going to really go down that road with our next song, which is "Bold as Love," a Jimi Hendrix cover. We got a Hendrix cover on the Try album as well. That was "Wait Until Tomorrow," but uh, and he done Hendrix covers live because he wanted to show up, hey, I'm a guitarist, so of course I'm going to play you some Hendrix. But this is the first time he recorded one in studio. And, um, I mean, not an easy thing to do because Hendrix is often called the best, the greatest guitarist of all time. And he was immortalized. He is immortalized. So... You're going to get a lot of comparisons and a lot of people who probably think you shouldn't even bother covering a song such as Bold as Love, which is one of Hendrix's most beloved tracks. But if he wants to build his guitar reputation, which is a part of this album, I think this was a really smart move. And it's a well-done cover. It rocks. And I think that it's good to have that full blast rock song on the album, especially after these previous two songs, especially, which really make you stop and think and contemplate. It's good to have a straight ahead hard rock track after that. And um, I think it's a good place for it. It does come in between these reflective songs. But if it were just one reflective song after another, I think things would have maybe gotten a bit too monotonous. And this breaks that up in a really nice way. But it fits in still. So I think this is well done. Yeah, I'm right with you. Super well done. I'll talk about the musicality of the cover in a second. But really, to choose this 
Jimmy song, if you're going to cover a Jimmy, in fact, I'm almost positive this is the first cover that he put on any album other than Try, like any of his his, uh, solo albums. But to do Bold as Love is genius here for me because we were super open. You know, he's super opened up to us here and he's given us everything. And immediately when you hear it, you're like, ah, here we go with a Hendrix cover, but more... When you look into Bold as Love and, and see it, you know, just as scared love or or even more just just starting love, uh, love that's not sure, it fits so beautifully into what we have here. Uh, and it's genius on that level, in my opinion. Um, this cover, though, I love this cover. Even we'll go if you go back to the uh, try episode that we did. I was talking about I had seen this live. I've seen him do this live twice, and it's just such a beautiful way to cover a song. The perfect way to cover a song where you put you into it, but you don't lose it in that process. And this is there. I mean, he really makes this song his own while super without just mimicking riffs but paying super homage to uh, Hendrix or even more so the Hendrix experience. I mean, you got Jordan playing Mitch Mitchell here. Like, it, th- There's so many beautiful things about this, this cover composition. It's, it's, it's amazing. More, most specifically though, at 250 at the, I won't even say the end, but at 250, he's raging on this solo, this Hendrix inspired solo. And then pop, it breaks down into this blues, um, just soft, almost a pause where maybe in a live setting, you would expect the lead singer to talk over it or something like that. And really speaks to his blues mentality and adds another level of him onto it and this evolving mayor that we're seeing so kudos to him for doing this song kudos to him for putting it so perfectly into this thought process on the album uh a really well done job here yes most definitely and uh it, it leads us into our final quarter of the album which i think is really interesting in a way because i don't know if anybody else has thought of this but i see this last quarter is kind of a trilogy of the stages of a breakup is how i view these last few songs and that starts with um our 10th track which is dreaming with a broken heart uh this is a very piano based track actually which is an oddity on this album but it works for this song um and he's admitting like it's over but i wish it wasn't like and so it's like i'm really hurt but i that romantic in me is dreamy of what could be what could have been and hence you're dreaming with a broken heart and that's something i know i can relate to um definitely a contrast to um slow dancing in a burning room that's for sure but um i i just think it's in some ways, maybe a sequel. It's two sides of the same coin to that song, in a way, I think. Um, and uh, I think it really works on that level, and I think it's beautiful compositionally. Um, it was the fourth single, and it made it to 99 on the Hot 100, so it just got in there. I think it deserved better, much better than that. Like, not even top 40, come on. 
But um, yeah, I hope I hear this one. I think this would be like that great lighters in the sky or phones in the sky kind of song for a show is my thought process. So yeah. It it would be it would be a super awesome contrast at a show because you get that piano um there, but it really is such a beautiful song. I'm totally with you on it being almost like a sequel or a, a different side to the coin uh, alongside slow dancing in a burning room. I mean, even the last line of this uh, waking up is always the hardest to do when you're dreaming with a broken heart. It, it mimics that same sentiment that we had in slow dancing in a burning room where you can see it going down. This to me is the end of that where you're still dreaming with, with a broken heart and wishing and just dreaming uh, that things were better inside of, of this breakup. I'm with you right there too. This is really this breakup, almost half of the album. Um, yeah. This one in particular always had and still does really always hits me with this cinematic feeling. Maybe it's the contrast of the piano on this album I really, this one, I've always loved a little bit more because it almost, not almost, it gives me a Randy Newman type of feel as far as this this piano ballad, so to speak, this really introspective piano piece where he's not necessarily talk singing, but it, it's, it's along that line. I, I really enjoy this one. Yes, yeah, so do I. But um, even though it's a sequel to one song, it's also the first... Uh, one of the many stages of breakup that we're getting in this almost half of the album because we had that again in with the penultimate song in repair this is the only other song with a co-writer this one being the jazz guitarist charlie hunter and the, another featured player on this song is james valentine who is the guitarist of maroon five um he knew john mayer from their days at berkeley college but Interestingly, I think James Valentine would probably be more well-known if he played for John Mayer full-time than being a member of Maroon 5, because... I heard that. Who could... Uh, it, it, it pretty much... Uh, it's very hard for people to think of anyone but Adam Levine, but this was well before The Voice and I think even the second Maroon 5 album, so we're very early on, and people did think of Maroon 5 as a bit more of a actual band um in 2006 than they do now or in future years but enough about maroon 5 um yeah this is a uh, it's the recovery from the relationship which i think is such a powerful metaphor because when you're in that when many are in that situation it is kind of this addiction you're addicted to the person you're addicted to the thing and to be in repair from it it's like i'm not there yet but i'm working on it i'm working on moving on from that and uh, that's really an important thing to showcase and i like that this song does that and i also think this very possibly has the best guitar solo on the whole album that solo really just kicks ass for lack of a better term um this is the longest song here but I don't think any of it's wasted. I think that it's appropriate for what we're singing about with this intense 
situation and it blisters with its um composition so this is another winner for me it's a really well constructed piece i'm, I'm right with you super well constructed in a sense in a live sense which i tend to listen to him more these days like this one here is a powerful i'm so glad you said it, a powerful super powerful solo but a soft song to let you know that the show is almost over and i usually see those songs go a little longer the length here is definitely definitely not wasted i really enjoy that it keeps going and going and going inside of the thought of this repair even and if you've listened to us before, you've heard me say it. I'm never really a big fan of a fade out outro. And this one makes sense because it's a repetitive line that just keeps going and going and going like the repair would be the self repair inside of this breakup mentality. And I love that. You, you very rarely hear me say that I love a fade out outro, um, but this one just sings correct and sets up walking into the final track this is a really really good penultimate track yeah most definitely i'm right there with you on that heck i think it could have worked well as a closing track even honestly Heard. i think it would have really worked as an epic closer but alas it's not the closing track instead we have um i'm gonna find another you which uh the kind of the last part of this breakup trilogy or half of the album whatever you may want to call it um because it's just you know uh yeah i'm gonna find another you it's just more defiant like i'm over you and i'm gonna there's you're you're not irreplaceable because i can i can find another you and uh so a bit more yeah just i've moved on i got it and uh um, this song, I really love the soulful feel that really has that classic kind of muscle shoals horn sound. And I'm a sucker for that sound. I absolutely just love that style. And I think it's really well done here. Yeah, I I, I cannot be with you more. This is such a perfect closer for this album. I'm so glad in the sense that repair wasn't a closer for this album because this is really that look this is the 10 this is the 10 on the dial into this evolution of mare this starts out with a this newfound blue sensibility and rocks with a full full composition it's mature it's beautiful it lets us know where we're going i'm gonna reach here and Outside of all of the breakup stuff, and and I totally feel that I'm going to find another you, I'm going to reach and say, I'm going to find another you. Could even be him finding the new him coming out of this album. Uh, I know that might be a reach, but that that's a way I feel coming out of this song. Super, super fitting ender for what comes after this album, the, the John Mayer um after after continual it's super exciting to hear this going back and hearing how he ends this album being like wow man because that's his sound now is really what he does inside of 12 other than 
Sabrock, but we're not going to get into Sabrock today. Well, uh, uh, it, it's it's a good one. It's a good one. Well, um, so hot tea take from me. Um, I do like a lot of things about this song. Oh. I don't think it's a good closer. Oh no! I I, I just don't like the song itself. It has that great subtle soul feel to it, and emotionally, it's a good closer. But musically, I don't think it just quite gets what I want as a closer from this album. I want something a bit harder hitting along the lines of a song like In Repair. And it hurts me to say it because I love the arrangement of the song. I just don't think it's the best arrangement to close the album with. That's that's just my issue with it. Like, as many things as I love about the song. Heard that. Just don't think it's a great closer. Yeah. Well, you're wrong. Well, <laughs> I'm uh, kidding. You, I'm kidding. <laughs> you know what? Some others probably think I am too, but I'm <laughs> gonna stand my ground on this. That's my that's my hot tea take. That's how I feel. But uh so interestingly though, um this wasn't for a bit always the closer, actually. It is on Spotify as it should be, but um in 2008, this album got a reissue and it got a bonus track tacked on, which was the song Say, which um, John Mayer actually wrote for the movie The Bucket List. And it's definitely a bonus track. It doesn't fit with the album at all. Um, the closest nope. song to it here is The Heart of Life. I think it's a better song than that one. But it was written for a movie. That's probably why it works better for that. But it doesn't fit here at all. And I can't consider it a part of this album even though it was a big hit for him um it's actually his highest charting billboard single number 12 on the hot 100 but it's not a continuum song at all so i i i know you just won that cash grab put a hit at the end of the album but no that was really not that's not it <laughs> i'm glad it's not included as part of it on streaming because it's not this <laughs> yeah it wasn't until i looked back at the wiki that i saw that i never i don't i never owned the album with that on the end of it and yeah uh, that song was everywhere once it came out but it definitely doesn't fit this this soundscape at all no not one bit but there we have continuum i felt the need to mention it just because it wasn't just any bonus song. It was a huge hit, so I wanted to mention it. But really, album ends with I'm Gonna Find Another You. And there we have Continuum. John Mayer, our second look at him in a year. That's wild. Who who would have thunk it? But here we are. <laughs> Johnny May. Yeah, so um, you are you are the true Mayer fan out of us. I do want to know what you grade this album. Continuum. Continuum. Looking back at Continuum is such a cool thing to do because believe it or not, it was never it was never heralded in my brain as one of my favorite albums from John Mayer. Yeah, I loved stuff on it. Yeah, there was awesome tracks through. I listened to it over and over and over again, but it didn't stick for me because Trio was right before and I was head over heels for Trio. So 
back then it slowed down mayor a little bit looking back at it i i love to see how much of the new sound is here and as an album it really does like we had been saying throughout it really does go from an older mare to a newer mare sound wise um if i'm nitpicking as far as in a critical ear the album in its whole has a tough time taking off sometimes uh it really it sticks landings throughout but it it just has a tough time getting outside of a softer groove. And that would be really my, really my only hardcore critique looking back at it is it just sat a little soft. I am going to give this one a B. I almost gave it a B plus. It's getting a B from me. There's awesome stuff here, but the sum of the parts isn't as strong as I think it should be looking back on it. I, I am shocked. I actually am going to give it a B plus. <laughs> I I didn't think I'd have a higher grade for John Mayer than you would, but here we are. Um, no, I think this I'm, is I'm a hard really, on my boys. Yeah, you expect the best from them, so you. <laughs> um, I get that. I totally get that. We if, when we expect the best from them, we uh, want to hold them to their highest standard, but. I think this is a really strong singer-songwriter album. I'm not talking about, like, the blues guitar stuff. I'm looking at it from this perspective. I think it is fantastic in that there are some truly beautiful compositions here um, that are just hard to beat in my book. And uh, definitely some of the one of the best singer-songwriter albums of its era, for sure. And... I'm I'm a sucker for that. So on that grounds, I'm going to give it a B plus. It's not perfect, but it's pretty damn good. There you go. What's your favorite track on this bad boy? Stop this train. Oh, that's a good one. That was my second. I'm going belief on this one. Another, Always love that jam. Another good choice. It is a jam. There was no contest for me. I love that song so much. It might have elevated my whole score. Who knows? But it's a great song. Stop the strain. Yeah, man. Stop, Stop the strain, like I said. Yeah. <laughs> Stop what you're doing and listen. That's real. Yeah, that's what you need to, folks, please. Because you are missing out if you haven't listened to it. You might cry, but it'll be worth it, I promise. That's what I was going to say. I, I said, you know, it's father and son, but it's one of those ones where I'll listen to it every once in a while and be like, all right, let me get it. Let me get a, a, a good cry out on this one. It's 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 just such a cool piece because he's talking straight from the heart. You know, it, it's it's almost like just having a conversation with him about how he's feeling turning 30. Shit's going too fast. He's getting nervous inside of the continuum. It's a good one. Good pick, Charlie. Good pick. Oh, good. But, um, now we have one more Ocean's Calling album to go uh, for next week. And I'm going to let you introduce this one because we both love it, but you love it even more. So what are we doing? I'm I'm going to take it back and we'll do it again next week because this is <laughs> this band holds such a awesome place in my heart. But this band was really the first time I ever talked to Charlie about music. Yes. I, I just in passing was like, hey, what are you doing this weekend? 
And Charlie says, I'm going to go see Weezer and the Pixies. And I turned around unexpecting to hear that answer. And that has blossomed into us talking about music for years. Um, so this one is, is well, maybe I'm giving too much away as far as, as what it is to me. But we're going to break down one of my favorites of all time. And it's going to be a tough one critically for me not to give this a super A++ bonus. But we're going to break down Weezer Blue Album. It, I, I don't think it's terrible to give it an I mean, Pitchfork gave it a 10. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I, it's going to be tough to find a negative point in this. Yeah. This is this is a, a album that's lived in my rotation from day one till now. And like, I still listen to it taking the kids to school. <laughs> it's, it's played a big part in my life. Yeah, it's definitely an iconic album and it is going to be hard not to just put the blinders on but we're going to be as fair as possible but um if we are too easy the justification pitchfork gave it a 10 that's all i'm <laughs> saying and that's one i, I mean, can't I, be mad at if you th if you think we're too easy holler at me because i would love to talk to everybody about this album this is one that is near and dear to me not not many that we've done have have been on this level this is up there like bad level for me <laughs> yeah so. it's kind of shocking it's taken us over a year to do it we've been doing the show over a year still haven't done it but uh the time was going to come and this is the time to do it so weezer yeah. blue album i'm very excited to discuss it and uh it's gonna be a fun one so stay tuned for that in the meantime, please do follow us on social media at Turntables and Tea Podcasts on Facebook and Instagram at Turntables Tea on X, formerly known as Twitter. Also subscribe and rate us wherever you're listening to us. That would be much appreciated because that allows us to keep churning out new episodes for you and because it's just what we love to do and we're going to continue to love to do it because that's just how we roll. So... In the meantime, don't destroy your sweater. Turn on your buddy Holly and stay tuned for next week. Peace!